Hello, Amy Summers. Welcome to the Patterpod. Hello, Alex Patterson. <laughs> oh my god, I love that jingle. Where's it from? Oh yeah, we, we must talk about the jingles. <laughs> so, those regular uh, listeners to the Patterpod will know from, the, I think, the last episode, which was with Daniel Shah, I revealed, I think, for the first time, that the jingle is based on... The Robin Hood Mass, which is a congregational mass setting that I wrote for Nottingham Cathedral. And, but those listeners way back at the very beginning will have heard me reference that you, Amy Summers, um, had arranged it. Who? <laughs> Who? <laughs> Who? Yeah, so publicly, thank you very much, Amy. It's honestly the best thing about the podcast. Thank you. I only did it for the validation. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've just received. The <laughs> the title of the podcast episode, right there. <laughs> so we uh, we know each other from Nottingham Cathedral. We do. So can you sort of talk a bit about that? Sure. Um, I remember very clearly sitting in my room in Willoughby Hall, circa January 2015, and receiving an email from the university music department saying that there were choral scholarships available so I emailed you saying dear Mr Patterson I would like to come and sing with you for an evening and I remember getting there and just have it even though I literally just finished a module on early music I had no idea what was going on because <laughs> I'd never sung in a church or cathedral choir before mm. <clears throat> and we did Gabrielli Ubalato Deo and Tune. Tune and Rheinberger Mass. And I was surprised when the same words <laughs> appeared in the service the following week. I was like, oh, I think we did a Kyrie last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cute. Um, that's adorable. Yeah, I just remember like going to the surge on that evening and thinking, oh, I, I think I found my people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's really interesting what you were saying about the Kyrie, because I <laughs> remember with the Cathedral Youth Choir way back when I did it, like years ago, and I tried to introduce a new setting of the Ave Maria, and <laughs> one of them was just like, sorry, this isn't right. No, Ave Maria goes like this, and then sang the Ave Maria that they knew. And then I had to like talk to them about the concept of different composers setting the same words. Yeah. I get that so much as a composer and people asking if I've written the lyrics and I was like, no, they were written a thousand years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us just a bit about you and your sort of experience with music, your tastes in music? How did music sort of start with you? I knew you were going to ask me this. Um... <laughs> you can read it on my Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> Lincoln bio. <laughs> I had music lessons from a fairly young age. Here we go. I did piano in school. I think piano is the only instrument that I was formally taught. I taught myself the recorder <laughs> and the ukulele, which I'm going to talk about later. <laughs> this is exciting. <laughs> So in terms of singing, because you were saying that you never sang in a church choir or anything before, did you ever do any sort of singing at school? Yeah, I did lots of singing at school um, in the chamber choir and junior choirs, um, which were run by a, a private teacher at my secondary school. I think that was really the most formative part of my musical education. Okay. I think my friend Alice just asked me to go along one week to choir with her. And um, yeah, I had singing lessons for a bit and just sang in this choir. Absolutely committed once or twice a week. Did some accompanying, did some conducting. Um, we do all the school concerts and festivals and, you know, kind of normal secondary school activities. Yeah. Are there any pieces from like those choirs that you were in that sort of just stuck with you or... Oh, definitely. I think probably the biggest one is Mozart, Laudate Dominum. I think it's probably more of a nostalgic thing than anything else. I just remember feeling really happy singing in the 
in the choir on like summery days and we'd whack it out every couple of years and do it and I could just feel myself like progressing and noticing more in the music as I grew older. Okay, I feel as if we need to stop and go back. I think we should tackle you as a composer head on. Oh god, okay. When did the composing bug hit you? Um it was Actually, do you know what? I was going to say GCC, but that's a lie. I wrote this um, <laughs> I wrote this piece on the organ when I was six years old, and it has like six notes in it, and it's really, really long, but I just I held down a chord for ages and like put a synth on. And okay. <laughs> there's a video of me playing it like an old home <laughs> video. It's horrendous. I, Link in the bio. <laughs> <laughs> um, I played like two notes and then I played another two notes and then I got somewhere that was like vaguely suspense- suspenseful and I literally just <laughs> hold it for like 30 seconds <laughs> oh wow uh, um anyway apart from that I started properly composing when I was in year nine I did my choose to see music early um I remember the teacher saying that some people are going to find composition really easy. Some people are going to find it really hard. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to find it really, really hard. Um, whacked out this piece, which I laugh at now, <laughs> but it was just the, probably the most free. I think the first piece you ever write is the most authentic and original. Mm. So, yeah. And then I was just kind of always encouraged to do more. And I've got a musical family as well so I was kind of pointed in the right direction and I didn't think it was ever like a conscious choice like right I'm going to be a composer now it was more like I just never stopped doing it so in for like GCSE and stuff were you were you taught or was it like a oh this is just something that I know I or I can I'm just doing I think we had like supporting lessons but I had really wonderful teachers who just let us get on with it and if we asked for help then they were there but I just remember kind of sitting down and getting on with it yeah it was a free piece which I just loved doing and I you know just sit down and add more and more each time that we weren't ever like taught how to compose and I think that was yeah I'm very grateful for the the teachers that I had shout out (laughs) and then when you were like looking for universities and stuff was composition uh like a big sort of component of why you would go to a certain place or I think so yeah I certainly knew that I wanted to compose but I was aware of the fact that I really wanted to be very widely educated in music first which Mm. is why I went to Nottingham because out of everywhere I looked it was the most eclectic in in terms of modules yeah and I knew that I could do a bit of everything and focus on composition as much or as little as I wanted right um yeah and I really wanted to go to a campus university as well because I had my site set for London I think I've wanted to move to London since I was about four and I I so I moved out of London when I was four and then <laughs> was really angry and just wanted to move back <laughs> so I kind of knew that I'd always end up there and I really wanted to go to campus do the uni life thing so so when you were in Nottingham what was the first can you remember what the first piece was that you wrote was it for your course I remember writing some like awful string quartet in first year that wasn't very me it was just like copying Mozart and I think it was something where I knew I was going to get the marks the first one that I really enjoyed was second year where we had to write some music for a um a film clip it was some footage from 1929 Soviet Russia called Mao the movie camera and uh, the class had about five minutes of footage each and we got to pick our clip I think and then we scored it however we wanted and got to record it with live musicians or I think we had to have at least one live um, musician and I did the rest on uh, my software but yeah I think that was where I started to just really enjoy what I was doing I'm trying to remember how I got you writing for the cathedral. I remember, I remember 100%. We were in Italy and we were both drunk 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds about right. I think you you texted me the day before saying like I've got an idea, and then the next night you said like what are your plans for next year? And I just said I'm going to be moving back home so that I can write as much music as I can. And you said, would you like to be composed in residence? And I said, no, I'm better than that. I, said, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I would have known that you were a composer. Oh, yeah. So I did. I had like a final composition recital in third year. Oh, yes. Do you uh... My scores were awful. Looking back, <laughs> they were so bad. But... um. I think the, there was like some ground there. Okay. Yeah. They were the first pieces of core music that I ever wrote. What were the pieces that you did? I did um, Salve Regina, which didn't really fit the acoustic of the Ginocchi <laughs> Recital Hall, but it's fine. <laughs> I wrote some like two minute motet to fill in the time. And then I did a setting of Fear No More, The Heat of the Sun. Yeah. Which was for choir and solo quartet who I placed at the back of the room. Yeah classic classic with the salve regina did i ask you to write a salve regina or was that yeah um oh yeah so it was like a year before i was composing residence i think you just said would you like to do oh because i'd had something performed by um university choir possibly which you would have heard or yeah and you said do you want to write something for the cathedral and i think you sent me across a text So there was that, and then you did your final year thing. Yeah. And then we went to Italy and... Came back a changed person. Well, yeah, I mean, that is, historically, that's what happens with composers when they go on some Barnabas... Quiet tours. tours. <laughs> that so happened to you? Me. Well, yeah, I mean, he... When we went to Hong Kong in 2009, I just graduated and was like, yeah, I think I might stay on and just figure something out in Nottingham. And Neil, my predecessor, was like, well, how about you stay on as composer in residence? And I think he then asked me to write a setting of For the Fallen. I sort of laughed in his face. I was like, but we do the... Um, oh, oh, the, the guest. One. The guest which I was like, we do the guess and it's really effective. And I can't possibly write something that is going to go up against that. And then you massively just completely <laughs> outdid him. Honestly, every year, if I'm in a choir and we sing the guest, I'm like, oh, should have been the Patterson. Well, I now I can't... Th- I, um, it's one of those things, I don't know if you find it when you're writing something and you get so like under the skin of the text mm-hmm. and how... Um, and how it should be done. And I think a lot about, so when Neil asked me to do that, I was like, okay, well, the pressure's on because I know exactly when this piece is going to be sung and it's going to be sung um, after the minute silence, the two minute silence on Remembrance Sunday, right at the very end of the service. And this it's got to just have such an emotional impact. And um I just was quite like overwhelmed with that, but I had a very clear idea of what I wanted. Well, diamonds made under pressure. Well, so they say. <laughs>
Neil was also talking to me about, about writing a mass setting. And that was all when we were in some, we were in the Hing Fat Chinese restaurant, um, which did an English breakfast, which was like a noodle soup with sausages and a fried egg floating on top. Oh, wow. So, so weird, but so wonderful. And we went back, <laughs> I think we went back the next day. But yeah, that, um, that whole sort of composer residence thing for me also happened away on tour. So, you know, tradition. Mm. So you were composing residence, but you weren't actually really in residence. You were, I think you moved back to Bristol. Is that yeah, right? I was in, living in Bristol. And then you started at Trinity. I did. To do a postgrad. Yeah. Um, I was at Trinity for a year doing postgrad composition. It was really great to come to London where <laughs> I'd always wanted to be. I felt really inspired. And yeah, took classes in orchestration did some kind of like wacky experimenting, had my eyes open to the world of like 21st century music, which is something I hadn't, to my kind of shame, hadn't really been in touch with. And so I'm, I'm so glad that I had that year because yeah, I feel kind of more relevant as a composer and I know where I'm going. Well, I don't, I have no idea, but also... <laughs> I feel a bit more grounded and in touch and got to yeah. meet more wonderful musicians um, and spent a year in, no, two years in um, the old Royal Naval College Trinity Lab and Chapel Choir, Yeah, which is as important as cathedral, I think. I, my, my composition teacher said, like, being in a choir one can never do you any harm. Like, always joy, always be in a choir because you'll get so much out of it. That's so true. <laughs> I think it's such a, it's such an immediate musical education, mm. um, and like practically speaking, because you're, um, it's a bit like what you were talking about earlier in terms of, um, like doing an early music module and then suddenly being, like in the cathedral choir. And I just I love learning by doing and sort of experiencing like firsthand the music, which is why I'm like more of a practical person than a an academic. Yeah, I think I agree, actually. I think it's taken me a long time to realise that. I'm, I would definitely learn much more from looking through a score, like following a score and music making than sitting down in the library. Yeah, because when it was happen- when I joined the Cathedral Choir, I, you don't really realise it's happening, but you, <laughs> yeah. you're picking up like new music all the time. And you're like, who's this composer? Never heard of him. Like, what's this music? And yeah, you're sight reading and like, in terms of your skill of being able to like sing and pick up music quickly, that always gets better, you hope. <laughs> yeah, totally. But, um, and like the, the surrounding discussions and being a part of a community where someone always knows about, like at least one person will have done that piece before. Yeah, and sort of know the composer and be able to like flesh out a yeah, bit of like that person. A bit of an insight. Yeah. That's a bit like the other bad thing about choirs is that everyone has an opinion. So, <laughs> and if your opinion differs to that, or if you like a piece of music that someone else or a few other people don't like, it's like mm, okay. Yeah, it takes a lot to kind of be strong-minded in your own tastes. I think. Yeah, which is why we have the Patterpod, which is a safe space to explore that. In terms of your musical tastes, uh, what sort of stuff do you like? What do you not like? I think I've been trying to figure this question out ever since I knew I was going to be on this podcast. Anything that feels really original where the singer or the composer is just pouring out their soul and you can hear it in the music, whether that's classical or pop or soul or Mm. anything. And I think what I listen to actively is completely different to my like guilty pleasures yeah if I was going to do because this obviously isn't like a desert island discs podcast it's like what are you listening to now and what means it to you now um but if I was doing desert island discs I'd probably put in some like Billy Joel um Kate Bush a string quartet probably something from symphony lots of soul um, oh, and Tom O'Dell, who I think is one of the most underrated 
songwriters in pop music today. Okay. Um, but yeah, I've really got into my kind of like soul Motown in the last mm. couple of years. It just always gets me in a good mood. So you alluded to how you chose these seven pieces. Mm. Um, so these are songs and pieces that you're l- listening to at the moment? Yeah. Um, some of them I discovered during lockdown and others um, I sort of rediscovered in lockdown. But yeah, it's everything that I'm kind of listening to now, finding interesting now. Should we go straight into it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Amy Summers. Um, no, hang on. Amy Summers. Better. Cheers. Thank you. I've been really trying to work on that all day. Take it away with your first track. Here we go. So my first track is called From the Sea Slash It Looms, chapters one and two, from the album Nothing Is Still by a guy called Leon Vinehall. It's a fairly recent discovery, which a colleague put on in the office I work in a few months ago and I just instantly thought it was the most beautiful random completely chaotic but very well structured sound design Mm. yeah I think probably the underlying subconscious reason why I drift towards this piece is because I'm always in a mood in the mornings (laughs) no matter how much sleep I get um it takes one probably two teaser coffees for me to like want to be alive (laughs) and this album is one of the only things that I can listen to in the morning I think it because it doesn't tell me to feel a certain way like it's not happy it's not sad it's just like somewhere in between and yeah the opening is just a gentle collage of samples that gradually build up and it's really effective. Yeah, I listened to it this morning in the office and I was captivated by it. And it was interesting what you were saying about it not being happy or sad. I think I completely agree with that. There's something sort of uh, sort of limbo-esque about it, mm. which I really enjoyed because I think for a lot of songs, particularly during lockdown, actually, there were a lot of pieces that I'd... Or I'd be like scrolling through things and be like, no, that's not that's not the mood I'm in. Mm. Because I got a lot a lot of pieces are so like this is the this is how I wanna make you feel type thing. Exactly. And is, yeah. And, and sometimes you just don't need that. I hate like so I listen to Radio 4 in the mornings because I want to have some like human voice in my life. And I yeah, I hate having I hate the idea of like getting on the bus, putting my headphones in and putting on like a song with like some singer shouting in my face which is crazy because by about 11am I'm like you know a few coffees down and I'm like singing along to Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat (laughs) (laughs) um yeah we're not here to judge Amy it's fine (laughs) thank you so much yeah I just think it it always feels fresh I've listened to it so many times this year but it still feels fresh and it's so beautifully mixed and mastered and everything happens at just the right time yeah it's definitely one where you've got to listen to the whole album not on shuffle just straight through and the pieces link into each other oh okay yeah and i've been doing a bit of kind of like sound designy stuff during lockdown as well which i think i think why I came back to it yeah um i did sound design and synthesis at uni and was completely fascinated by it but that was it was so new to me and I don't think I did it justice okay so I kind of had a bit of time to go back and start doing things properly yeah I'm kind of really inspired to like sample to do lots of sampling at the moment and just see what my logic pro can do with it <laughs>
let's move on to your second track. Okay, so my second track is Ravel's Piano Concerto in G major, first movement, although the whole thing is great, but I've just picked a movement. So I often go back to this piece when I need motivation because it never fails to get me going, really. We saw this piece together. Do you remember last year at the Royal Festival Hall? It was the same night as the Cecilia McDowell Da Vinci Requiem. Was it? Yep. Seriously? I I (laughs) I don't remember that. We were mainly there for the Cecilia McDowell. And to be fair, I forget everything in a concert apart from like the main piece so that's insane i really don't remember that <laughs> um, okay lovely great yeah so i often go back to this piece but i rediscovered it at the start of lockdown um for like the 70th time because i so i mentioned earlier i'm a like i listen to radio four all the time because i think it's really important if you're a musician to have other things going on in your life mm-hmm. <laughs> that aren't just music anyways but one day I decided to set my alarm to Radio 3 and Ravel came on um the reason I know it so well is because I did it at A level and it's one of those pieces where you notice something new about it each time you listen to it I think the orchestration is magical and Mm. so ahead of its time plus it's got the bonus of reminding me of my A level music lessons which I loved and was very inspired to write this music okay yeah i didn't really listen to much 20th or 21st century instrumental music growing up there was quite a lot of classical uh, we did listen to quite a lot of kurt vile and like earlier 20th century russian music um and gershwin obviously but it was this piece was kind of my discovery into music post I can't remember when it was written I think it was the I think it was the 1930s yeah I think you're right but yeah everything kind of post then it really opened the opened the doors for me okay so when I was listening to this first movement earlier there was something about just like the orchestral colors that he like can achieve yeah they're very original so there's a bassoon playing really high kind of rise of spring influence so it sounds Mm. like a saxophone and there's a bit where the harp is playing glissandos along with harp like harmonics yeah which i think is original and effective i think i've always been very subconsciously slash very consciously influenced by the particular orchestration of this piece because everything i ever write people are always like oh it sounds french and like it's probably because literally all I've listened to for the last six years is Ravel Piano Concerto. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been quite an influence on you. Yeah, and I think as well, coming back to lockdown, I haven't listened to much classical with the small C music because I don't want to. I've been I've been having a good time. I don't need to like have an existential crisis, which I very easily do when I put on classical music. <laughs> So I've kind of been going for like the dopamine and the small highs to keep me motivated. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Which is very much what I feel from this piece. Should we talk about your third track? Okay. My <laughs> uh, so my my third track is uh with the love in my heart from Jesse Volume One by Jacob Collier. I don't even know where to begin. I've listened to and discovered Jacob Collier so much during lockdown. I've really got into watching his tutorials and interviews whilst being at home. 
anytime I'm not composing, I kind of make sure that I'm still learning. Okay. So I watch a lot of YouTube tutorials and one day I decided to delve a bit deeper into jazz harmony because I'm working on this um like piano concerto y thing um based oh. on like jazz harmony. Anyway, so rebel in there. I know literally. <laughs> <laughs> um so I clicked on a video called The Seven Stages of Jazz Harmony and the last stage of Jazz Harmony was about intonation, like just intonation. So using like the harmonics to tune to. And I was really curious because we do quite a lot of that in the choir that I'm in. And they were talking about how Jacob uses it to modulate into G half sharp major. Um, <laughs> so I found this piece. Stay with us, listeners. I, Stay with us. So <laughs> I found his arrangement of In the Bleak Midwinter, where he he manages to do this, and I believe that he's the first person to like use this okay just intonation to achieve this so he he takes a note and then like uses it as varying degrees of the scale which require like smaller and smaller intervals to stay in tune which means that he can bring each like successive supporting chord underneath up anyway that was that was it for me i was hooked (laughs) um I became like low key, um, by low key, I mean absolutely massively fascinated um, by all of his stuff. I picked this track because to me it's the most exciting and the most free. Right. I've seen interviews with him where he talks about the importance of being completely non judgmental about your own work. And I think it really comes across in this piece um, because he covers so many like colours slash styles I hate that word um in this piece within about four minutes and it's just like a crazy adventure but it's also so well put together and thought out and each tempo has been mathematically determined so it all divides and multiplies by each other Um, and he's not the thing that I love the most is that he's not doing it to show off he's just doing it because it's fascinating and like it runs in his blood like it's a challenge mm. and he's just got such a wonderful imagination wow gosh <laughs> i listened to it and was like there's something about this and that i'm fascinated by and then realized that the album is going to be like one of four yeah so his first album is orchestrally kind of based uh and he's got Voces eight singing in there as well yeah and like there's there's quite a few collaborations on that. Oh, yeah. Take Six is on it as well. Laura Vula. There's um the Metropole Orchestra as well. Oh, he, oh, and he, yeah. like, he's even got like, his family singing in it and doing stuff in the background. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. I just think it's so, so genuine and like innocent. And he's got the natural talent, but he's put the work in because he's got yeah. the interest and he's not afraid to like be bit of a maverick and am i right in thinking there's something about each volume being like a different part of the day or like a different season or something oh i i don't know about that probably i know that he's recording and making music in a different way in each one so the first one is more orchestral and choral oh there's a there's a track right at the end of the album called once you which i almost picked because it's don't have the words i just think it's Really great, amazing song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the second album is more acoustic, and then the third is more electronic. And that's how he's described it. And I can't remember what the fourth is, but it's not out yet. So.
Lovely. Great. Should we move on? Sure. <laughs> I love the next track for what I think is obvious reasons. Um, and it's nothing to do with the song. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> it's Dumbledore. <laughs> it is. But I, so I Googled Richard Harris because I was like, well, the only Richard Harris that I know is the actor. And then I kept putting into Google. So I put into Google Richard Harris and then the actor came up. And then I was like, singer. And then the same thing would come up. Like, did he actually, was it him? <laughs> yeah, it kind of blew my mind the first time I found that out. Uh, so is this um, like a recent discovery for you? Or? No, not at all, but it's always on my playlist. This has got a bit of a story to it. So <laughs> strap yourselves in. <laughs> so we should, well, just before we do, so it's, uh, can you give us the name of the track? Yeah, it's MacArthur Park, which I think is a park in LA. I think it's an actual place. Oh, right. So I first heard the song, here we go, lads. I first heard the song on the ukulele orchestra of great britain's first album the secret of life and i almost went for their version but i just think that this i love the orchestration in this track plus it's the full thing whereas they do a bit of a cut version so my dad went to egypt i promise this is relevant my dad went to egypt and in like 2003 um he was out there for work because he's a conservator um and they were restoring a painting and installing it in a museum in Cairo. He said that all he listened to was the ukulele orchestra of Great Britain and came back with the CD. And mm. it is so relevant in my life because I think that was like my main, that, that CD was my first memories of being really interested by music and wanting to make music. Right. Um, so did, they did this cover of MacArthur Park on there and I was obsessed I think because it was just different like I remember bringing it into school because the teacher said like bring in your favorite CDs and you know all the kids were listening to like cheesy naughty pop and I put on this like existential ballad um, <laughs> uh, I used to work out all their songs on on my banjolele my ukulele banjo i like specifically remember um playing one of their songs it was called the antiphon i think it was an original i didn't lo and behold i didn't know what the word antiphonal meant at that age but i'd worked out the chords of the song so i played this song in front of the whole school in like year four on my ukulele not knowing that the point of the song, the antiphon, was for it to be antiphonal and that the song was recorded and mixed and mastered so that like half of it comes up one speaker and then there's an answer on the other. And there I was. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I was just a crazy obsessed with that album for years. And I think MacArthur Park is like the Bohemian Rhapsody that no one knows. Okay. <laughs> you know that's, what I mean? Like It's not really about anything but also it's about a lot of stuff and yeah. it's a long crazy ballad and the, I just think the harmony and the songwriting is like genius and it goes through me so many different keys what were you talking about earlier with the like lyrics and the music this is the kind of song where I do know all of the lyrics but it was I think it's both the lyrics and the music itself that really inspired me like why I love it so much there's a line about like someone left the cake out in the rain I don't think that I can take it because it took so long to bake it (laughs) (laughs) and I'll never get the recipe again oh no hey you should join a choir this is what oh my god thank you this is what I was like going around singing when I was like seven This park is melting in the dark All the sweet green icing flowing down Someone left the cake out in the rain I don't think that I can take it 
Cause it took so long to bake it And I'll never have that recipe again Oh no Tell us about your next track, Amy. Summers. Oh, thank you. I forgot my name for a second there. Um, <laughs> my next track is Hyper Ballad by Bjork, which I discovered a couple of years ago when I was in a band. That sounds cooler. Makes me sound cooler than I am. Um, I was in a band for about six months with my friend Amy, um, and we did a cover of this song. It's Hang on, before before we talk about the song, mm-hmm. can we talk about this band? <laughs> Did you have a name? Um, I don't actually know. It was so my friend Amy was studying at BIM in Bristol and okay. so we had like a drummer, guitarist, bass, and I was doing keys. Um right. and I think it was for some assessments she did, and I think we did a couple of like auditions. Um yeah. but I was around so yeah, it was so much fun because I haven't really, I did kind of similar things in school, but um, we had like regular practices and it was, it was so much fun. It's like being in a choir because mm. it's making music and I don't get to do that much of it as a composer. And a lot of when I'm playing piano is when I'm on my own or doing a accompanying or something. So getting to play it with other people was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was just when you said you were in a band with your friend Amy. I was like, there's something about like the name of that band. Oh, I know. Oh, we were we used to. I know her from school. We called each other like the duo was like two Amy squared because. Oh. Amy squared is still just Amy because like one squared is just one, and then, but we still wanted that in there because just two Amy is a bit boring. So, so nerdy and so boring to anyone other than me and her, but. <laughs> <laughs> no i love it right back to bjork yeah um i was reading about what her meaning of the song was and it's pretty dark and it's so the lyrics are about her going again this is this is one of the choices where it's definitely about both the music and the lyrics equally so the lyrics are about like going and throwing things off a cliff in order to feel normal so her description of the song according to wikipedia my favorite source is um throwing things off a cliff imagining that it's her body that's hitting the ground below and then immediately feeling like safe and grateful for what she has right anyway i didn't really take that meaning i just kind of i remember listening to it lots when i was working in Bristol I had a job in um like a wig hair studio um and because I live about 12 miles outside of Bristol I had to get the bus really really early and I'd just walk around Bristol with like a coffee and a pastry in the summer kind of like watching the world wake up and singing Castle Park and for me it was more like about the morning routine and the little things that you do that no one else sees or knows about but like your thing at the start of the day that gets you going and makes you feel like human and makes you feel lucky to be alive yeah that's the meaning that I took from it but yeah it just reminds me of like being at home and having my nice routine and early mornings feeling productive
about your next track? Yeah. Some Ella. Some Ella. Oh, I've got another story for this track as well. So, oh. Oh, boring. You should have a, like a, um, here's a commission for you right here. Live on the Patapod. Um, we should have like a story alert jingle. Oh yeah, we should. I'll have a think. Um, but you know, you're busy writing your piano concerto, so I don't want it to take you away from that to like take the piss out of the Robin Hood mass. That's the correct answer. No, I'm joking. I'm always <laughs> <laughs> No, it's fun. I love it. Honestly, the harpless has changed my life. <laughs> it's just so joyous. So joyous. It never fails, does it? Yeah. Uh no, it's great. Anyway, back to back to you. Uh number six some Ella Fitzgerald so the first time I ever heard the song was a complete accident so after uni I moved back home to North Somerset and I think as everyone does as a graduate you find things quite difficult particularly moving home because I kind of felt a bit like I'd lost my identity and friends were far away and I felt really overwhelmed by the fact that I still had a really long way to go in terms of like education and composition so I was singing Manchester for the weekend with Mercia Corral and I found myself waiting in the hotel room that we were staying in I think it was on the last night waiting I think some friends just like went outside for a cigarette and the tv was on and yeah. it was the very end of the history boys which I'd never seen <laughs> Have you not? No, I still haven't seen it all the way through. But it was like the last five minutes. And so I was laying on the bed, like feeling knackered and drained. And, you know, when you're, I'm I'm definitely a massive introvert. So I need like downtime during weekends with lots of people. Um, And anyway, the song that plays during the credits is Rufus Wainwright's version of Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered. Okay. And just in that moment, like after a hectic few days, wonderful few days, but hectic, everything just seemed to like stop and all the kind of apprehension that I was feeling towards being a graduate and being terrified of the future just froze. And like, I was so absorbed in the moment listening to Mm. literally every word he sang. There was such an ache in his voice and nothing that I'd heard in a while had sounded so like pure and true. That version's not on Spotify, so found it on YouTube and repeated it over and over again on the train on the way home. So yeah, sorry Chris who organised Mercia because my most vivid musical memory from that weekend is actually listening to that song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but alas, I I've chosen the Ella Fitzgerald version this playlist because I discovered her version a few months later and it's the full version so it's got extra lyrics at the end and after the whole song of like being bewitched and bothered and bewildered and someone willowing in their self-pity for seven minutes in her version the the song is suddenly like turned on its head and there's a little drum fill that screams like something's coming now and there's a just a magic moment for me of like a sudden self-confidence that appears for the final three or four lines where she's saying like yeah I've been through this and this and this and here's all the details about like how I felt about the most excruciating pain and heartache and everything but basically I'm not going to let it bother me anymore yeah um yeah and that's how the song ends and that's that's why I like that version okay. so much. I just felt like it was really listening to me. Like you know, when you're in the right place at the right time, and you hear something or you meet some that some someone that you wouldn't have ever met if you were in a slightly different place, like five minutes later. Yeah, yeah. Um, I couldn't believe my luck really hearing that song. I just felt like this is absolutely how I feel. This is like my summer mood. Um, yeah. and nothing's hit the, the spot quite so much as this 
I'm wild again, beguiled again, a simpering, whimpering child again, bewitched, bothered, and bewildered, am I? version that Samuel Barnett sings in the movie mm. like halfway through that was the first time I heard the song and it really resonated with me but I I'm not a huge fan of the Rufus Wainwright one I think I don't I, well I don't know it as well there are times when I find him okay. incredibly annoying just the sound of his voice <laughs> um, see I really kind of like the slightly in a complimentative way, like slightly strainy voices um, of like male songwriters. So Tom O'Dell is kind of the same to me. Like there's bits in his music where his voice just slightly breaks and that's why it's most real yeah. for me. I mean, not just for me, that's probably why he's such a massive success. Big deal. But, yeah. um, <laughs> well, it's an excellent choice. Thank you. I wanted to put some soul music in there. Yeah, I just, I whack it out whenever I'm having a bit of a day and feeling sorry for myself. So I let myself feel it for a bit and then I try and move on. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, I have grown to sort of embrace those moments where I'm not feeling great or if I'm feeling down and just like, yeah, okay, I'm going to wallow and I'm going to do this for like a period of time and then I'm going to try and like force myself out of it and which, you know, easier said than done sometimes, but... Yeah, I think it's so important. I think it's so important to know that days like that will pass. Yeah, um, and I worry when people are like, yeah, I'm just not going uh, to think about that, or they're sort of, like, tucking it away and hiding it away. Like, yeah, no, because then it just comes back and, like, eats you alive. You've got to feel those moments and allow yourself to struggle sometimes i don't think it's a sign of weakness at all i think it's a sign of being emotionally intelligent and in touch yeah um and it's it's taken me a long time to realize that like you can have a few bad days and it always gets mm. better because i think for a long time if i ever had a period of time just feeling depressed i'd think that i was going to stay in it forever and i'd have a life crisis um but that doesn't really happen now because i can just recognize that it's hormonal and yeah, be fine. Yeah. Well, from emotions, emotions. <laughs> one hormonal rack to another. Uh, your final track, please, Amy Summers. My final track is Salve Regina by Ape. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like that? Um, I loved it. I loved it. Thank you so much. My final track is. Hail Gladdening Light by Charles Wood. <gasps> it was between this and the Howells Colreg Nunc Dimittis, just because I can't wait to like get back and sing an even song mm. like, and just go full pelt on something. If I could choose, then the first note that I would sing post-lockdown would be like something really loud just having a good old sing it's just such a banger it uses the space so well and it's just everything I love but being in a choir it's not a particularly harmonically adventurous piece which is I think the kind of things I love most about choral music and what interests me it's just so well structured and clever and takes its time and it's always over too soon yeah it sort of leaves you wanting more yeah it's like there are, there are some pieces like that. It's like, um, it's a bit like uh, Stanford Beati Quorum Via in a way, where it's like mm. this lovely, well crafted little gem. I mean, they're completely different pieces, but like quite similar vein in a way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I see that. I just think it, it sets up to achieve something very simple. That sounds like a, it's a really silly word to use but it is it sets up to use to achieve something quite simple and does it so well mm. and i love it's double choir isn't it yeah yeah i i love a double choir um 
I love a double choir. It, like Pharaohs of Heaven as well. It's a kind of similar yeah. effect. And that those two pieces are kind of what base my um, Fear No More, The Heat, The Sun setting on. Oh, okay. I think they're actually in the same key. Does that go back to that song that you were talking about earlier and the whole sort of antiphonal effect and going back and forward? And... Probably, yeah. Repressed memories. <laughs> no, I think we've just come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great piece and it's one that I, I keep forgetting about. It's just so like proud and shameless <laughs> metaphors. Um <laughs> And like you feel unified with everyone else in the room when you're singing mm. that. I think that's the thing. Like, I just I had to put something choral in, and I was I almost picked De Rufle Rec, but then Charles talked about it in his past pod, and you know couldn't be seen dead with Charles. So <laughs> <laughs> I, just, um... I know your uh, animosity with Charles is legendary. I mean, we all talk about it, you know, behind your backs. Moving on. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was. I almost chose the Rufle Requiem because that was the last choral music that I sang before lockdown. Oh, was it? But okay. Yeah. So this piece, like, I just think of Nottingham Cathedral when I sing it. So it's kind of looking back, and also looking forward because I just can't wait to get back and do a service and yeah, sing and make some music with other people in the same room. Thank you, Amy. Uh, that's been a lovely selection. How do you feel at the end of your first Patterpod experience? I feel like, you know, at the end of a rehearsal where you're like, how's everyone feeling spiritually, emotionally? And you give like a list. That's how I'm feeling right now. I feel very... <laughs> Underworld. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, we will be having you back for some special episodes uh, and we'll be talking film music in one. There will be a sort of Amy Summers musical special to talk about the musical that you're writing slash to talk about not that and... Um, your own music and pieces my least favorite activity uh, yeah so it could just be like oh i could maybe get someone else on and we could just talk about you and you could be like there on the air sure i'd love the attention just honest. not really say anything be like actually guys you that's not what this piece is about you've got this all <laughs> wrong and i'm not going to correct you i'm just going to tell you that you're wrong and not tell you what the right thing is um that could be fun uh, <laughs> um uh, thank you. Well, until we see each other again, goodbye. Bye. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been it's been an absolute delight, Amy. An absolute delight. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate and review, and do check out our extra episode full of chat and music that we couldn't squeeze into the main episode. Thank you and goodbye. And that's the magic of music.